Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Art and sometimes rock and roll Let's do a public opinion poll Raise your hand if you love creative control Cause when Vish is unleashed Well, you... Oh, sorry, I didn't see you there I was just working on a tribute song to my favorite podcast, Creative Control with Vish Khanna My name is Matthias, and I play in a band called The Burning Hell, but more importantly, I support Creative Control on Patreon, and I think you should too. Quality long-form arts journalism is like a magical talking unicorn. It definitely exists, but it can be really hard to find. Fortunately for us, Vish makes it easy with hundreds of funny, thought-provoking, well-researched and engaging interviews with artists from all over the world. Your flexible monthly donation on Patreon will get you plenty of special exclusive treats and help Vish keep his podcast well-fed and cared for properly the way a magical unicorn deserves. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Sarah Houle and Shane Ghostkeeper are musicians, songwriters, singers, and artists based in Calgary, Alberta. Originally from Paddle Prairie Métis Settlement in Alberta, the couple met in their early 20s and soon began collaborating together as Ghostkeeper, releasing five critically acclaimed records over the past 14 years. Their latest album is the dynamically wonderful multi-dimensional culture 
which was released by Victory Pool Records on May 27th, 2022, and prompted Sarah and Shane to have a chat with me about why they love living in Calgary, the theatrical nature of Ghost Keeper's music, and whether it's influenced by musicals or theater, how they connected with music and pop culture while living in a remote Métis settlement, the profound reasons why the indie rock of Pavement, Bell and Sebastian, and Fiery Furnaces, among others, opened them up artistically, parenting and raising children within cultural traditions and heritage, the cast of collaborators who helped make Ghost Keeper great, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you find anything you need. In fact, why don't you go talk to them about uh, ordering some Ghost Keeper records, including the new one? Why don't you do that? multi-dimensional culture. Go to blackbird.ca to learn more about how you can do those things. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 695 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Sarah Houle and Shane Ghostkeeper of Ghostkeeper, with a very special guest appearance by their son, Finn, all with your host, me, Vishkana. A cultural sculpture. Ancestors will sell you their mantra. Hi, Sarah. How's it going? Good. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining uh, uh, me on my show. First of all, where in the world are you? We're in uh, Mokinsis, uh, Calgary, Alberta. Nice. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. Just, am I north of you? I still don't know my way around this province. Yeah. <laughs> three and a half hours, I think, north of us. Three and a half? I well, three when three. I'm driving. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. I would get there in three. Someone says three and a half, I'm there 245. But we do live in a, a, a photo radar police state. So I don't know. Do you get stung, Shane, by going fast? No, it's been uh, it's been a long time since I've. Uh, I'm pretty aware of my surroundings. I keep keep a good an eye out for cops, ghost cars. <laughs> <laughs> good. That's good. That's nice. <laughs> That's good. Good thinking. So I, I I pre-introduced you, Shane. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. I I know because I can see you that you're right beside Sarah. So you're also. In the same spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in your home. Are you in your home there, Shane? Yeah, Balmoral, Calgary, Northwest, Central, yeah. Center Street, Twentieth Ave. It's a nice, Very nice precise. area. We love it. Nice. Yeah. How long? You, how long? How long have you been there in that uh, in that home? Uh, this particular house, just uh, two years now, um, but we've been in this neighborhood since we've moved to Calgary. Just can't leave. It's too uh, convenient and so much good food and close to downtown playing shows and stuff that sounds ideal uh sarah where did you move from to this uh to from cal uh, shane alludes to the fact that you moved to calgary about uh what'd you say or no this neighborhood a couple years ago where'd you move from um well we've been in this neighborhood for the past 14 15 years since we moved from paddle prairie metis settlement um up in northern alberta um so we yeah we came here and and settled into into calgary big city life oh there's a 
We have a, a guest, an extra guest on the show. Uh, who who did we just hear from there, Sarah? That's Finn Ravi Ray. Um, he's uh, he's two, so we like to call him Little Loudy, and you might find out why throughout this uh, interview. <laughs> I I feel like I have discovered why. <laughs> uh, I, I'm aware already of that. It's an apt name. Uh, I have two children myself. They are uh, fortunately uh, not here at the moment. So that's. Uh, I mean, it's not fortunate. I love them very much. They're older, too. They're uh, 10 and 7. I love them. I wish they were here all the time, but not during our interview. Anyway, it's good. Finn uh, is actually uh, alluded to on your beautiful new record. There's a song called Finn. Is there not, uh, Shane? Yes, uh, you got it. And it was written for this little man. He uh, He's two now, so he was born just before the pandemic hit. And he kind of had a, a bit of a rough go in his in his early in his early days so spent hours bouncing him around the house through his colicky and teething days and singing and ultimately writing that song Finn for him to soothe him and it made it on the record because we ended up needing as much material as possible in as short amount of time as possible so this record just really ended up being a very immediate and sentimental record that we didn't even really know what we we're getting into yeah, I would concur with that. It's a beautiful record. Um, Sarah, that song in particular, I, I've I've followed Ghostkeeper for uh, many years, and I've picked up on um, what I would call a slightly uh, theatrical bent uh, to the songs. Like, they have a very, I don't know how else to describe it, but that way, theatrical. Like, it just feels like this could be, that song in particular, it could be, like, from a musical, I feel like. There's just a lot of parts and, like, a lot of, like, it feels that way to me. Um, does that resonate with you, Sarah? Does it feel, does that song in particular uh, feel like a theatrical movement, if you will? Definitely, yeah, I can, I can see that. It, it's, it goes to so many different places and kind of captures this little guy's personality, too, in that way. But it's it's also like a, a way that we've written songs in the past. I feel like that almost collage style of songwriting we revisited with Finn, but um, for the most part, I feel like this this album is has a bit more of of a fluidity than we've done in the past and maybe a little less patchwork than than we're known for yeah i would concur with that uh shane what where do you suppose that if you agree by the way uh, you can veto or or disagree with sarah and i of course but if we can land on the idea that ghostkeeper has and is a particularly theatrical band where do you suppose that uh, comes from so to speak do you have any particular influences in that regard yeah sarah and i have always been huge fans of score music um you know cinema stuff this might not be exactly theater because we haven't really ventured too far into that realm as an audience member but uh cinema is a huge influence um for me in particular starting in my early days watching disney movies um it's something i've always really appreciated and also, it's kind of a, an artist, artistic agenda for Sarah and I to provide our audience with something unpredictable. And so typically, we, in order to, to provide that, that element, we need to make change these, you know, movements, as you would say, that typically you would find in cinema because they're following a picture. And, uh, you know, you know it, needs to, it needs to be dynamic. So I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I was my wife and I uh, were walking back from uh, uh, dropping our kids off uh, at school, 
Uh, and the the record has been playing uh, in the house as a, uh, it's almost become a cliche on my show that I say this to guests and I, I'm starting to feel self-conscious that maybe my listeners don't believe me. <laughs> but, but the truth is to prepare for these conversations, I play music. I pl- obviously would listen to the record and uh, uh, when I'm cooking and for the family, you know, it's just much to my daughter's chagrin. She just wants to watch TV. <laughs> But I'm like, oh, well, Papa's going to interview uh, this uh, artist. And, you know, anyway, my point is this. Uh, it's been playing in the house. And as I'm walking to uh, back with my wife from school, I says to her, I says, uh, you know, what that is kind of reminds me of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And she's like, that's it. That's what it is. Uh, that's that. That's, you know, that one song I was describing, Finn. She's like, yeah. And, and so, sorry, you're both smiling. So I feel OK about saying this. Yeah, I'm very cautious. Totally. Like, I don't want to put stuff on you. But. Sarah, is that a keystone? Do you, you know, Shane's talking about musical films, cinema, cinema, Rocky Horror Picture. Is that a thing? In my like experience, and in high school, I went to high school in Victoria, and we used to go to to the whatever the theater was there, and like people would be throwing the toast and doing all that stuff. So maybe it's like it's just somewhere um, in the back of my mind. But I, I, it's been years since I've seen it or or gone to do the the crowd participation type of thing but i i, I kind of love that that you you guys uh, went there that you drew from that one it's <laughs> awesome <laughs> shane is that i i appreciate that it's not a direct uh reference to any particular film or or maybe it is i don't know but does rocky horror stick stand out for you i just there's something about your delivery you know i i've i've been uh, engaged with your music on the level of like i really like lou reed for example, I like the Velvet Underground, and sometimes I hear in your cadence and your delivery and your phrasing a little bit of Lou. But yeah, this is just something that I don't know. It's like a American uh, bluntness and theatricality, if you will. Is uh, any of those figures or or that film in particular uh, resonate with you, Shane? It, it's been so long since I've watched uh, that particular film, but I've yeah, I've seen it multiple times in in my young days. So yeah, they're definitely, and I remember loving it, thinking it was so cool. But uh, yeah, it's, it's probably there deep down in my soul, and subconsciously, right? This is yeah, <laughs> and definitely Lou Reed in the Velvet Underground, huge uh, influence. You know, just through admiration. I, I I don't think I'm trying. I'm not making an effort to sound like uh, the Velvet Underground or Lou Reed, but it's a lot of admiration and and uh, inspiration deep down, just from lots of listening and. Yeah. And again, I don't want to put anything on you guys. It's always awkward. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a little cautious because if you're like, I hate, I hate Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Lou Reed is, sounds like he was a jerk. I'd be like, okay, sorry. I, I'm being <laughs> cautious because I, I'm sure there's lots going on. So I've, I've given you, uh, maybe some, some signposts that I am picking up on. Why don't we, uh, because it's an interview and you're my guest, why don't I, why don't I do the right thing and ask you what you think? <laughs> And, and, and so you can talk about where you feel you're coming from a little bit. Uh, and I, I think for those who don't know Ghostkeeper, it would be nice to actually get into the origins of this thing. Um, so Sarah, can you, from your perception, talk a little bit about where this band came from exactly, where this partnership came from, and potentially maybe common ground, cultural markers, cultural um, artists or creations that you were like, yes, mm-hmm. we align on these things. Sarah, let me begin with you. Can you talk about the Ghostkeeper origin story? Yeah. So uh, we were living up in um, in Paddle Prairie, staying. My aunt let us stay in her cabin, so we were we were just out there. Um, Shane had been writing some songs. 
he was actually playing a, quite a bit of music with a friend of his, Bomber, and I, I kind of felt left out, so I wanted to get in on the on the fun. So I, I bought a drum kit from the local church and uh, started playing and had this cousin in Calgary, Shane Breaker, who had um, started this record label, Snag Records, and uh, invited us out to record some songs. So we decided to make the move down here and then um, start playing in a band. So, But also I think being in Northern Alberta, you grew up listening to a lot of radio. So it's like, you know, what the station there had crying, loving or leaving program. And that was just all the, the country songs. But then the next, they would be oldies. It would be like, you know, and then also growing up with like, listening to um, maybe not necessarily full albums, but soundtracks. So you get this like eclectic taste in music where you're, you know, or me and my sister are pushing like play record off the radio to make our own mixtapes and stuff like that. So I feel like, we draw a lot from that, you know, listening kind of like from, from, uh, oh, sorry, he's so loud, to an R&B oh, no, song, okay. to, uh, to a country song, to a, you know, like all those things I feel like are, um, definitely still with me and, and even just how, how we listen to our playlists now. It's like, it's not necessarily one genre at a time. It just kind of, you know, goes through a bunch of varied tastes. And I think that that resonates with like the kind of songwriting we do. I do appreciate what you're saying about sort of collage, I guess, is what you're com- where you're coming from. Uh, that, that uh, you know, there's not a consistency uh, to your listening experience, like a compilation or something's going to change all the time. Uh, Shane, does that inform your songwriting, per se? Like this notion of, because I was getting at Finn and maybe Rocky Horror Picture Show. Those are kind of herky-jerky things. They're changing all the time. They They are surprising. So you seem to have this element of surprise that's instilled within you as a listener. You like to be surprised. Mm-hmm. So I guess it would make sense that you would convey music that that captures, you know, reflects that that interest. That's fair, I, I'm guessing. Is that is that fair, Shane? Totally. Uh, yeah, all my favorite music is, um, ex- you know, experimental pop to noise stuff and all types of world music. So I'm always looking for something unpredictable. Otherwise, I'm bored. Yeah. Are, are there key artists who you look to? Like, uh, uh, you know, Sarah was just talking about a few uh, or things that you would hear on uh, on the radio. I was raised on uh, country music. And then I started getting into different types, you know, as uh, when Nirvana hit. I was like 14, 15. And that blew my mind. And then I started exploring all the classic stuff like uh, Jimi Hendrix and you know, CCR and the Rolling Stones. And then, but I wasn't getting into music at that point yet. I was still like, you know, not really completely inspired to, to, to participate as a, an artist until I, later in life. And I met Sarah, 20 years old, and she started showing me all this, all this underground stuff, velvet underground. And then I also through another friend got into pavement and Elliot mm-hmm. Smith. And then that's when I was really. Um, inspired to contribute to this style of uh, making music, which ultimately to me was just, wow, who would have ever thought of these ideas, you know, like just going deep and being bold, really being bold. Yeah. And and giving an audience something they've never heard before or, you know. And like the fiery furnaces and Bell and Sebastian were kind of out at that time when we started making music. And that was like blowing us away. Like we would, 
order records, uh, like from the record store in, in Edmonton and like get them sent up to paddle and like just be crazy about all this music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was going to ask about that. First of all, I'm a, I, I am, I was, I am a huge pavement fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it seems like indie rock is what you're, you're kind of landing on for lack of a better term. Uh, and, and the thing about indie rock at the time was that it could be anything. And you, it would be, on one hand, you'd be like, how did this scrappy band get a string section on their records or whatever? You know what I mean? So I like the endless possibilities of indie rock. Sarah, you alluded to the fact that you would order records from Edmonton. Uh, and I wonder about life on the settlement in that regard. Uh, I've talked to people uh, who have lived in um, uh, sort of away from major centers. And, and it's always interesting to hear how they accessed culture. I remember uh, one of the examples that comes to mind is uh, the, those guys, uh, you know, Snotty Nose Res Kids, um, the, the, the hip hop group. They were like, we never got to, we, we live so far away from Vancouver or wherever that we accessed live music by just putting this uh, Dr. Dre live concert DVD on a loop. <laughs> Right. And they watched it so much, like they felt like they were at the show. Uh, were you so remote that you didn't have access to uh, major centers and shows and stuff like that? Sarah, can you speak to that? Um, well, coming from like going to high school in Victoria and living in Edmonton for a bit, we definitely had experienced a lot of live music and like a, a pretty solid uh, music scene in both cities. So coming from that to to Paddle, we would just... Like we would come to the city, we would buy music magazines, fashion magazines, and we would just like go through them and then and like buy a whole bunch of like, probably we were buying CDs then actually. And we just like take that back and just absorb it. <laughs> so we did try and hit, hit some shows when we went to the city. Uh, but I feel like, like we always thought we would, we would move to like a, a bigger city, like maybe Montreal or Toronto and... Calgary was going to be just kind of like the first step in, in, you know, our big world adventure. And it's so funny. Like we, we stayed, you know, we got comfortable here and we got a lot of support here. And I I think that like without the internet, you know, like when we were, when we were at, at that age, it was, it was just all about like, yeah, the print, like we would get the, the newest exclaim and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. Yeah, try and try and get out like down south, but I mean that's an eight and a half hour drive. I'm, that's probably me driving though. <laughs> but it was um, it was definitely like something that when we went to the city, we just like we, we kind of just like hoarded, got as much as we could. <laughs> Can I just for people listening and myself because again I'm still uh, pretty naive to the geography. I've only lived in Alberta for uh, a couple of years, so forgive me. How far away is Paddle from Calgary? It sounds like or Edmonton. I can't figure out which one it's closest to. Shane, uh, how far away was Paddle from uh, which of the two cities? And 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 how long did how often would you go down there? Well, I suppose if you drive directly from Calgary up to Paddle Prairie. And then High Level, which is the town just north of Paddle Prairie, about a 20-minute drive where I was raised um, or went to school. It's at least a 12-hour drive. Oh, my God. Okay. So this explains the hoarding. And okay. Yeah. But so from in, Edmonton, so it's about in, eight. Okay. So, and High Level is not, is that, is that a bigger city? It's bigger than... No, it's no. a town. Uh, when I was growing up there, it was about 3,000 people. 
It's up by the Northwest Territories border on the on the west, the northwest side, up the Highway 35, the Mackenzie Highway. Oh Lord. Okay, I'm Way sorry. Again, I've, I'm I'm sorry. I, I'll figure this out. I'll figure this place out. I just haven't. We got here, and it was very cold, mm-hmm. and so we didn't want to leave the house because of that. And then there was a pandemic, like immediately, <laughs> like in two months, we were all locked down, couldn't go anywhere. Wow. So I haven't really done a lot of exploring. Like I've been to Alberta many times yeah. and seen a lot of it as a person who lived in Ontario. And uh, now I don't know it at all, and I live here. It's really kind of some days it spooks me out. I'm like, I don't really. If I didn't have this GPS on my phone, I really wouldn't know where I was. That's weird. It's disorienting. But my point is, uh, you're definitely sort of cut off. Uh, it seems to me from culture on the one hand, but you made a point of getting it yourself. Is that the moral of the story, Shane? That you would? Yeah. Well, in terms of pop culture, I mean, I would. Yeah. It was serious culture up there. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, same here. Once I met Sarah, Sarah was the first artist I'd ever known or ever met in my life. She was a practicing artist, painting, mixed media stuff. And, uh, yeah, at that point, 20 years old and it, that it was on. Then listening to all this really cool, unpredictable music I'd never heard or thought possible. And then at that point, we were still living up there. So totally, yeah, we would come to the city and, it's like Sarah said, it's magazines, Value Village shopping, splurging on 10 CDs for the drive home and absorbing it all and listening over and over and over and over again when we got home. And all the long drives, because every everything is a long drive, just even to get groceries up there. So mm-hmm. music is very important. I appreciate the distinction you make between sort of westernized pop culture and other cultural forms that are actually there. Sarah, can you expand upon that as a visual artist? And a, by the way, your artwork is always very beautiful. Um, can you talk about what the culture was like there and how that influences, uh, how, in, how that influenced you at the time? And also, does it still? Is that, that's, I assume that's part of your aesthetic still. But can you talk about just enlighten us in terms of what kind of culture Shane's alluding to and, and how it's inspired you? Well, definitely the North and where we're from is known for people with big personalities, like big laughs, lots of really good jokes. Like Paddle just has like their own slang. I think it still definitely influences me. It's been a while since we've had the chance to go to go home and visit, but it's got a really uh, interesting beauty up there just with the landscape. And I think we did touch upon that in every album, but uh, this one, especially with uh, Summer Child in the Trees, just kind of, you know, that beautiful muskeg, those, you know, even those like crazy winter days where the, the drifts are like, you know, five feet high and just that kind of magic of growing up there um, on and off uh, for myself. But you take that sort of that land memory with you and just those, uh, you know, like still always teaching our son the basic Cree words that I know and, and also just like, you know, razzing him enough that he can go to paddle and, and, and take a joke, you know, cause like people are, are pretty sharp and pretty clever, but you know, the, often the jokes on you and growing up like that, I think it has a lot to do with like my personality today. So yeah, it's, it's a good place if you ever want to visit. <laughs> At some point, I will leave my house and go out into the world and visit things. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So you feel both enlightened and toughened by the environment you were in on some level. Is that fair, Sarah? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those yeah. winters are 
are harsh. And then the summers are just like the sun hardly goes down. So me, me and Shane actually, as part of our origin story, I guess we, um, we played at a lot of parties and did a lot of cover songs and Shane would play guitar and we'd both sing. And that was, uh, that was a big, big thing in the summer sitting around a fire to keep the mosquitoes away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, it's a good point for me to, to make that I didn't realize that I was a minority until we moved to Calgary. We were surrounded by, you know, equal parts, maybe even more indigenous people, um, because our families are so huge. So yeah, I, I've never, it wasn't until I moved to Calgary that, uh, I realized I was a minority. So that says a lot about the culture up there. Well, I mean, interestingly, you like me by the list of bands and artists you, you both referred to earlier gravitated towards music made by white people. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe didn't think twice about it. And that's, that was the milieu I was in. I didn't recognize, I never, I always say this. It's still true. Actually, I didn't, I was never really aware of my difference until it was pointed out to me. Right. Like, like by some microaggression or odd comment, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say that exactly. I also weaponized my... I realized that I was different in grade 7 or 8 because I would get comedic mileage out of undercutting the racism by doing it to myself. (laughs) Right. Which is like, I don't know if I was ahead of my time in that regard or if I was just so (laughs) full of self-loathing that I was like, okay, I I get it. But I didn't really dwell on it. It wasn't... didn't hit me. But um, humor was a huge thing for me is what I'm getting at. Like I would undercut the tension by trying to joke with the white kids mm-hmm. and it worked. They couldn't do anything. I was already, I was ahead. It was like the scene in eight mile. <laughs> uh, you know, I was doing, I insulted myself so bad they couldn't do anything. So I think it worked and it, it held me in good stead. Once it was sort of, it was like being a, yeah, just establishing whatever school I was in and doing that. They were like, okay, we can't, he's already doing it to himself. We're done. Shane was humor important. I feel like it is. I feel like humor is a big part of your aesthetic as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. I hear it. Um, there are some very heavy songs on, on this particular record, for example, but is humor important to you as, as a, a means of your expression? Uh, completely and totally just even in the way you're describing it is, you know, as a way to combat, you know, racial issues and specifically indigenous on my part. Um, I'm, I'm always trying to allude to an issue, you know, like racism and, and even historical, you know, awful incidences with humor so that non-indigenous people can see this issue such as racism or the Oka crisis and be like, wow, that is funny because it's so ridiculous. It's so stupid or so dumb, you know, that we have to realize how ridiculous this racism is because it's, you know, it's, funny it's outrageous that that uh this is happening so that's always been an approach for me in order to engage non-indigenous people you know with humor yeah so one thing i'll say i don't know how you feel about this sarah but uh as i i'm alluding to the fact that i I could manage the world and my place in it with humor as shane as shane's describing as well then i became a parent and it felt a little more serious like my life felt more serious and uh, it shifted it shifted me in a profound way in terms of how I deal with the stuff we're talking about because your children have questions 
And so it just made me think, oh, I, I have to take this a little bit more seriously. We can have fun with it. And we do. But I have to take it a little more seriously. Did, did becoming a parent impact how you and Shane sort of approach Ghostkeeper and the stories you want to tell? Sarah, can you speak to that? Yeah, I think so because well, our oldest son is is nine, going to be ten soon. So like, he has a lot of questions, and he's really into his indigenous identity. So he's constantly asking us about, you know, colonization and um, settlers, and and you know, like this person said this, is that right? And like, you know, j- just really being an active person in in trying to figure out the world through the lens of a Métis kid in the city, you know. So that's that's definitely influenced um, just like some of the topics that we've, we've explored and just having him like, even in, in like with the trees, having him in the video with us where that is sort of the perfect example of, of taking, taking an issue and like Shane's style of writing to, to really like point, point out the absurdities of racism. And even though I feel like it's something we've always done, having that, that, you know, the eyes on you from, from like the, you know, having a kid definitely, definitely sharpens those things and makes sure like, you know what you're talking about other, like, and he wants to know our family history. And I, I've just recently sort of went into that and because of his interest in it and stuff like that isn't necessarily easy, even if it's, you know, still like a pretty amazing story from your histories and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it changes, it changes you in, in like being brave enough to kind of go, into those stories and histories and make sure you have your uh, opinions straight um, or you're willing to see their opinion and, and kind of learn from both, both sides. Shane, did you want to speak? I appreciate that, Sarah. Shane, did you want to speak to that? Yeah, I suppose it's, I've evolved in my reaction towards um, say colonial issues and racism, where as I guess before I was a dad, I'd be more, I, I guess I would, I'd, like I was saying before, it's, it's ridiculous to me. So I'd be more, I'd intend to if experience, because I've experienced a lot of, you know, racist people, you know, face to face in my day. And I would typically laugh and then even maybe like try my best to like make some sort of psychological comment about how ridiculous this person is and, and laugh at them and even shame them or something <laughs> because I always had a lot of confidence towards stuff like that. But now I'm, when my son wants to talk about it or talk about racism, now I'm saying, well, you know, have some compassion because those people are in a, a place that isn't healthy. And we, you are in a place of progress. So these energies and these, you know, intense, I guess, hatred that they're experiencing is uh, something to almost grieve over or feel sorry for them, you know? So yeah, I, I think it's changed a lot that way. I'm wrestling with something these days in that, uh, so my, I'm a first generation uh, Canadian. My parents came from India. And uh, growing up, I kind of rejected their insistence that we uh, engage in Indian culture because I, I was living this split personality. I'd go to school, or I'd play road hockey, mostly with white kids, a couple of couple of other kids from other backgrounds, was mostly with white kids, and I just wanted to fit in. And when we'd come home, they wanted, they were really like, India, 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 you know, Hinduism, Hinduism, like just mm-hmm. very heavy to the point where I rejected it. Mm-hmm. And now I have children, and I'm starting to realize I haven't really connected them with their Indian heritage because I spent so much time resisting it. So that's on me. 
I'm listening to your record and I'm reading the lyrics. I don't think that's the case for you. But has there ever been that, like you said, Shane, I didn't experience, I didn't really recognize that I was a minority until I left the settlement and went to Calgary. So you have a different experience than me I th- on that level because I immediately was raised, born and raised in a Canadian place. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it, I was just instantly like, I want to integrate. I don't want to stick out uh, on that level. Did you ever have resistance to your cultural history or just wanting to fit in? Did that ever occur to you that I don't need to maintain these traditions? I can just be who I am and try to fit in. Did that ever occur? No, I was always, you know, pretty well immersed. I mean, I am Métis. I'm not, I'm not you know, full on First Nations, but I mean, my Ghostkeeper family and, and on my mom's side, my grandmother, they were, I thought, I was an Indian, full on, indigenous. And I was always so proud of that. And, you know, as a child, I I would always witness my grandpa, my grandpa ghost keeper sitting on the front porch, playing his drum and singing his songs. And I always thought that was so amazing and beautiful while the rest of us kids were running around. And always, you know, lots of smudging and um, lots of stories of... of of medicine, medicines from my dad and my grandpa. So I was lucky enough to be really well immersed. And I, I had the strength as a young child to denounce religion, in particular Catholicism, or the rest of my cousins were having to go through the communion process. Mm-hmm. But where I, I was so into my indigenous culture that I stood my ground and said, no, I don't like that. I don't want to do this. And Luckily, my dad and my mom saw in my eye this truth and this, you know, intense, I guess, feeling. So they allowed me to not participate. So and then eventually in my teen years, I got in, got to experience ceremonies. And yeah, so being Indigenous, in particular Cree, Métis, has always been a point of pride for me. And And I think that's also why I was so inspired by indie music like pavements because I thought they were really connecting with their deeper selves rather than the pop artists that you hear on the radio. So that's why I really gravitated towards that because then I can really, you know, romanticize and glorify and express this pride that I have for, for being indigenous, you know, as a modern Métis guy, as I experienced it. Hmm. Sarah, I want to ask you the same sort of question about cultural connection, but I also hope you can tell me if you think I'm either a, a bad Indian or a bad parent <laughs> for not. Uh, I feel like you would know. I, could, I get a vibe that you will be able to give me an honest answer on that. Um, but I'll, I'm joking. You can you can answer those questions. I'm happy to hear your thoughts. But also speaking to what we were just discussing, like, did you ever feel like pressure? So much pressure to be a part of. Uh, a certain tradition or culture that because as punks, sometimes you reject whatever you're being told to be like, you know what I mean? So, and I'm not saying you're necessarily punks, but I feel like there's a punk spirit, indie rock spirit. There's a punk, there's an independent spirit. How about that? Mm -hmm. So can you speak to that, Sarah? Like, did you ever have like, no, I just want to be a person doing this thing. I don't necessarily uh, want to align everything I do with this particular cultural expression. Can you speak to that? Um, yeah, well, I mean, growing up as a as a white passing Métis, uh, I definitely had a different experience than Shane. Um, like, 
you don't necessarily look at me and say, oh, she's Indigenous. So it was kind of something I would have to tell people. And then, you know, you'd get the reaction sometimes of, well, why, why are you telling me, you know, like, why, why should you point that out? Because it's wasn't necessarily in that day and age, like, something to be proud of, because there was just so much outright racism against Indigenous people. But my mom was, she was so proud Métis, like we went to round dances. We we practiced, uh, you know, we practiced our culture a lot. She's like a single mom, me and my sister. She went to university to become, become a social worker, got her master's, like really inspirational woman. And um, yeah, I think that when we were living in Victoria, I I had that connection, but there weren't, weren't any Métis people around then either and that's when I was getting into music and like getting into going to like punk shows and stuff like that and then maybe thought like moving back to Paddle would be like the worst thing in the world at that time where I would be kind of going backwards and I, I did see it like that like as a in high school and I think a bit of that attitude continued on to to making music where it's like we wanted to be seen as artists we had a pride in our, our Métis Indigenous heritage but also like we didn't want to only participate in the Indigenous scene. We didn't want to be seen as tokenized or playing those stages where it would be a country act, then us, then then the blues artists, all because we were Indigenous, you know? So in that way, we kind of fought back as like, no, we're, we're indie artists, you know? Like in that, that um, I think started with, yeah, in high school for me. Well, th- that's kind of what I'm getting at because there is a certain expectation even visually that some of us present to some other people. I sorry, I I think I've told this story before, but once in a university, I was at a kind of a pretentious professor's house, English professor's house. One of these guys that wore the African dashiki stuff, but he's a white guy, you know. <laughs> and he came back from Africa and he had some hand drums and there was some party and he knew I was a drummer. Uh so he's like, "Oh, you should try the thing." So I did it for it felt like I was I don't know. I even felt bad about it. <laughs> I just like I'm like, all right, I'll tap your hand drum. And then his wife came in, and he went, "Oh, hey, look at Vish. He's got a, the hang of the drums." And the woman goes, uh, "Oh, well, you must have played tabla as a kid." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my god, why would you say that?" I was just stunned because there's just like we can't, like I'm thinking there's a line on the song Roly. That stuck out for me. I'm tired of struggling to juggle all this baggage I've been lugging around. I'm inner peace ward bound now. And I couldn't help but just think, like, I don't know where that line came from, if it's just part of that particular narrative. But there is baggage, I guess, as we walk around and and the way people view us. You know, I've had I had a woman once come up to me at a restaurant and she's like, I had long hair at the time and it was the salt and pepper thing I got going on. It's like, oh, your hair is so lovely. I went, oh, thank you very much. She's like, we don't have hair like that around here. <laughs> what? I lived in that town for like 25 years. I lived in Guelph for a long time. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you getting at there? So just like people see you and they, and it's baggage. I never really think of it that way. I walk around and I'm fine. But then someone puts their discomfort on you and you have to deal with it a little bit. Anyway, sorry. What is that uh, lyric fragment I just uh, mentioned there? What is that? Where's that coming from, Shane? I assume you were responsible. Yeah, sure. That's also, you know, describing yours, but it, it's a bit more of like it comes from a more universal description of the, you know, the uh, the universal battle that we all deal with is, you know, having to shake our childhood in order to move forward. And that's, you know, my grandpa has always been there with me from childhood. 
up until he passed away about five years ago now. So it's just uh, an allusion to that, you know, being able to, yeah. having to shake your your ego and and uh, all the, the habits that you learned as a child as defense mechanisms or whatnot, you know, spiritual, mental obstacles that you develop. And uh, yeah, that's what that line refers to. Well, there's some meta stuff here. Like, I, I feel like it's a very an outspoken record. It's a personal record. As I've said, it's funny on the song Doo-Wop. Uh, you actually mentioned Sarah's name. Uh, and you met, it was Sarah who Lowry, will you remember me with that ceremony? Like, that's a very touching and sort of meta thing that's going on. Uh, what prompted that sort of idea, Shane? Like, I, I just, I, I thought that was charming in its own way, but it also has a, a depth and a seriousness to it. Where, where did that come from? Um, well, also immediacy. We were needing songs yeah. ASAP because we had the studio booked and the scheduling with the, the Canada Council for the Arts who funded it. So we needed a song and, um, I, I guess Sarah and I's history and our romantic history is always a point of inspiration for me, you know, to, to write about, to think about, to be grateful for. So I'm always, I'm, I often go there lyrically. And this song, I, I guess, is a story about one of our very first, first dates. Sarah and I drove ourselves to Edmonton, did a little eight hour drive in my pickup truck. And, um, we were down at some park in Edmonton and she went ahead down by the river and, uh, was blowing bubbles. And I thought that was the, uh, pretty, uh, beautiful thing. And so now I just equating it to it being a ceremony as if she was saying prayers through every bubble for our, for our, for our future, for our romance. Oh, well, that's lovely. Sarah, that you got you got to think that's pretty lovely. Come on, Sarah, that's that's yeah. pretty. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting a little choked up here. I've, I haven't heard him like explain it like that. So yeah, it's. Oh well, I'm, it's a very lovely thing to hear uh, these expressions. So Sarah, uh, just to clarify, uh, I'm, I'm I'm asking lyric questions primarily to Shane. Is Shane the primary lyricist in Ghostkeeper? Yeah, um, usually he writes the bulk of the songs, and then. I wrote three songs for this record, and then there's a, there's a bit of back and forth in them too. Like I've interjected some lyrics onto his songs, and he's kind of come up with the like a theme for some lyrics on some of my songs. So, yeah, I just feel like he has a lot of uh, good poetry in him, and I feel like I kind of labor over lyrics and 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 writing songs, and it it's something that I love to do. But I also I feel like I'm more a visual artist, so I I kind of. We split the difference in that way, I guess, uh, where I'm happy to, to take the lead vocal on, on a few songs that I, that I've come up with. But, um, as for immediacy and stuff, uh, yeah, Shane was really able to pull it off and, and get some, get some amazing songwriting in such a short time. So for like for this record in particular. Yeah. I, when I hear you sing your songs and then I think about what you're saying, I find that it's a bit more stark than what Shane's doing. It feels more impressionistic as well. Like you use your voice more in a textured way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's accurate. Yeah. 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 So I, I feel like that's an aesthetic choice you make. I feel like Shane's voice is so high in the mix and very, I can, it's, it's art, all the words are very articulated. Yours is a bit, you know, I, I don't know. I'm thinking like grassy plains or something. Like I'm like, oh, I'm, I have to dig a bit deeper here. And it's a little more, it's indirect, but it's also very affecting. Does that make, sorry, I'm just telling you, this is all about me today. I'm just telling you what I think. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. 
Um, no, I see what you mean. Like, I, I feel like I'm trying to, um, like, my big, uh, I think, point is I'm trying to give the listener um, an experience of nostalgia. And so through either my, like, my references or just painting sort of a, a picture or an image, like, I feel like that's um, trying to guide this the viewer into imagining a scene that that feels like it you know it was shot on 16 mil or something i guess and yeah in a way yeah gauze it gauzy it has a gauzy right. you can almost feel the song yeah i i can i can i can relate to that so with relative objectivity i want to ask you where you think each other's songs may be going or if you can feel like underlying themes uh on this record because i pick up on some i've alluded to some i feel like there's family there's tradition they're speaking to white people. <laughs> They're speaking to uh, some hard and heavy issues as well as very sort of fun, familial things. Um, if you could encapsulate where you think Shane's coming from, Sarah, on some of on the material on this record, where do you think, do you have a sense of where it's sort of coming from and maybe what he's getting to? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like Shane really like got so expressive in his vocals on this that it it was almost um it's it's good medicine what he's doing like he's he's got that energy and even if the vocal part isn't a lyric he's still he's still saying some kind of a prayer or kind of giving that kind of blessing and i feel like that's the theme through through what what he accomplished in this record and the songs are really anthemic in that way where they're where you know it's it's a graciousness it's a it's a spiritual prayer. I guess that's what I feel when I hear the theme throughout the, the songs he's written. I appreciate that. So Shane, I, I want to defer to you both to speak to Sarah's impression of where you're coming from, but also, again, to sort of speak to where you think Sarah's coming from uh, with some of these songs. Because I think they're, they are, I, I don't want to suggest they're not equally evocative. I just feel like I have to it's a little more cinematic to allude to something we've discussed earlier, but I'm um, sorry, Shane, what do you make of Sarah's take on what you came up with? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate it. That's for sure. That's such a huge compliment coming from one of my most admired artists. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I suppose, I suppose that is an underlying concept for me about, you know, putting out some, some good medicine, whether it's even sarcasm I'm still having a good intent behind it. And um, yeah, wow, that's a great compliment. And uh, I suppose it's true. I, I uh, am trying to put some good vibes out there. <laughs> I like this. I like that uh, me intervening in your lives <laughs> has taught you about each other. That's probably good. We should do this every week. Yeah. Why don't we just have a meeting? And I'll, like marriage no, I'm, counseling. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, I don't want to get into that. That sounds too heavy to me. All I'm getting at really is I, I think it's a really beautiful sounding uh, multi-layered record. You are not uh, the only ones on this record. Shane, who else participated in the making of, of this album? Well, we're so lucky. and We start this relationship, this musical collaboration on the last record, which we recorded at home with Ryan Bourne, multi-instrumentalist. So we're talking about immediacy, like we couldn't have pulled this off so quick if it wasn't for, for Ryan. Yeah. Um, his ideas, his hooks, his nonstop flow of instrumental hooks is, is just amazing. And we're uh, so inspiring. He really pushes 
uh, me and Sarah to want to be better at our own instruments. And of course, Eric Hamlin, like, wow, what a, we really needed to figure out, we wanted to, cause Sarah's getting so busy with her visual arts career that once she became pregnant, it just didn't make sense to keep trying to, you know, slay it on the drum kit because she needed to focus on delivering her beautiful, sweet vocals. Mm-hmm. And so we together, Sarah and I decided that we would invite a drummer. And Eric has always been my f- most favorite drummer in the city, if not in the country. So we asked him and he luckily he was excited to, to join us to be part of it. And uh, we're so grateful. His, his drumming is, uh, is uh, an inspiration. And Jay? Uh, our old um, band member, Jay Crocker, who moved out, out east, um, he he did some guitar parts um, for the record also, just um, long distance, and wrote the string parts, which were performed by Jesse Zubot, um, which was mm. really cool. We had a choir. Um, it was just like, yeah, Laurie Matheson like did a lot of work with um, with us on backup vocals. He's He just really has a knack for, for harmonies. And so working with all of those, like heavy hitters, I think I should say, was, was, uh, it was a really good experience and, and, and just like really put our trust in them. I think that it was like our most collaborative effort so far with working with all those, um, mentioned names. Yeah. I also was going to get to Lori Matheson being our producer. He really put in a lot of passion and dedication to this record, not only as the, uh, an engineer, um, the recording engineer, but also he's, Laurie's been a, a huge part of our history. He's, I call him my big brother and he's my musical big brother. And he's there to make sure that my vision, Sarah's vision comes to fruition. And in doing so, he adds a lot of his own magic and, and individual uh, sound as well. And, um, this record ended up sounding nothing like what we were hoping it would sound like. And in a good way, we were so gratefully surprised with uh, Laurie's magic that he put on this. And um, I couldn't have delivered these vocals without him. Wow. Well, I love the fact that you've got this community of people helping you. That's That sounds amazing. Uh, I'll, I was just going to mention that uh, of the people you mentioned, uh, I, I can verify that Jay Crocker is a genius and uh, <laughs> uh, former, you know, past guest on the show. And there's actually a new Joyful Talk record mm-hmm. uh, so out in the world as well. So just wanted to shout out Jay in particular because uh, uh, he's a magical fellow is what I was getting, all I wanted to get at there. So anyway, you should be very proud, if I may, for what it's worth to hear it from me. Uh, you should be very proud of this record. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Thank you. So, um, oh, you're welcome, Sarah. Where can people go to learn more about uh, this album, and uh, and also Ghostkeeper? We're on Bandcamp at Ghostkeeper Music. Um, uh, not Bandcamp. What's it called? <laughs> We're on Instagram. <laughs> uh, yeah, at Ghostkeeper Music. And I'm trying to like put all the info up there, link it up. We'll have a website soon. Um, and then we also have our Bandcamp page that um, they. People can listen, you can order a vinyl. Uh, we just got our cassettes in yesterday, so we have a bunch of cassettes. T-shirts. And t-shirts. Stuff to get out in the world. Actual physical copies, which is uh, exciting for us. Yeah, baby blue vinyl coming out soon, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but I think those are those are our major channels right now for, for information. And uh, there's Facebook, too. We're on Facebook as uh, Ghostkeeper. 
as well as Victory Pool, who were so lucky to get behind this record. Um, We ended up, yeah, joining forces with them last fall for the first single, Grassy Plains, and it's it's been a fun ride. Jesse Northey is, I don't know how he does it, but he's uh, a workhorse and he's doing great work for us. (laughs) He's managing quite a handful of bands and it's uh it's great to see and we're, we're really excited to be on such a young uh new label and uh to grow with it um and it's a great name victory pool victory pool absolutely well lovely that's lovely to hear and uh shane i assume there's some there are some tour dates coming i'm guessing as we're speaking is that right yeah, not exactly tour, more like one-offs. Um, we have Sled Islands. Oh, we have our album release party tonight at the Palomino. <laughs> I can never keep track of shows. We got so much going on, but uh, Folk on the Rocks up in Yellowknife, which should be really fun. Did I say Sled Island? Yeah. Um, more to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more at this come. point, we're, we have, we're just kind of going by invite only. We, we're not, uh, we're thinking about maybe organizing a fall uh, a fall tour out east in the works excellent well again whatever we can do to spread the word about uh, multi-dimensional culture and ghostkeeper i'm happy to help and and do so I'll, I'll link to all the things you said in the podcast description so people can click on things and 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 follow things and all those sorts of fun activities uh if we can go out on a song uh from this record i wonder if we can pick one now we have two of you here so i'm gonna go to sarah to pick, but Shane, you have uh, veto power. If you disagree with the choice, you can intervene and we'll go, we'll have a, a minor, I hope, small debate. Sarah, what song would you like people to hear from uh, this new record? There's between two, but I'm going to go with Ancestral. <laughs> okay, first of all, uh, explain yourself, make your case, why that song? Um, I feel like it speaks to a lot of what we've covered in the in- interview about where we're going with this uh, this album and the themes, and uh, I just really like it. It's a it's a single out right now in the states on on their college radio circuit, and um, I feel like it it could uh, use a little north of the border exposure. So, okay, so the choice was ancestral. Shane, where do you stand on this issue? Um, well, I, I, I like where we went instrumentally with Ancestral. It's one of my favorites, um, for sure. Just, just a bit more of that, uh, unusual, you know, song structure and guitar composition. It's a definitely a direction that I think we're going to move forward a lot with, or at least like a prominent tangent. But I think I would like to deliver something a little bit, um, uh, with Sarah and I both singing, which, which is doo-wop. And it's a... Uh... That was my second choice. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess... Wow, this is unprecedented. We've never <laughs> had a veto, but then consensus on the veto. I've never seen that before. You are clearly in love and know how to deal with one another. So you want to veto Ancestral and go to doo-wop. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Well, that's at least my suggestion. I've never been a, a veto kind of a person. Is, um yeah, that would just let's do it. My pick. Okay. Doo-wop start. It starts the record, right? Doop starts so the record. Yeah, and, and it's not a single. And I and I, I wished it was a single, um, but I got vetoed by the band <laughs> and went with Roly instead. I mean, I love Roly, but uh, 
I want to do up to be a single just to kind of in- encapsulate the, uh, the, uh, the underlying romance that, you know, directed this record and both Sarah and I sing on it and we both wrote together on it. It's, you know, it's a collaboration. This is so complicated. I, oh, no, it's not complicated because, Sarah, you've already acknowledged you're fine with doo Is that right? I'm fine. Yeah, that was my second choice, I thought, and for similar reasons. So, yeah, I think I think we can go with that. I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, and by the time people are listening at this point in the conversation, they'll have already heard it. What I'm going to do is for the bed at the beginning of the episode, I'll play a little bit of Ancestral. Yeah. Nice. As I do the introduction. So everyone has already heard a little bit of Ancestral. But right now, from the beautiful new album, Multidimensional Culture by Ghostkeeper, this is Doop. I just want to say, Sarah, Shane, Finn, thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> and uh, I hope uh, we talk again soon and best of luck in the future. All right. Thanks so much for having us. That was great. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you. <laughs> Nothing ever come out of this mouth Quicker than a rotary dial up phone
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Again, very special thanks to uh, Sarah and Shane and Finn of Ghostkeeper for appearing on this the uh, 695th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network, and it's available just about wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you can't locate an episode that you've heard about, you're looking for it on your that platform you like, the one you like the most, and it's not there for some reason. Or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, bishkana.com. Everything you might need to know about me and all past episodes of this podcast should be there. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vish Kana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast and me, Vish, going. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, some of it derived from uh, these fresh new interviews. Sometimes I dig into my archives of uh, interviews that preceded this podcast and I post those and uh, if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt you can message me on patreon once you've made your donation and I'll try to get you one while supplies last Um, you know that patreon that's the main source of income for all this work I do otherwise I just make the stuff every week or a couple times a week hopefully no more than that and I put it out on all those the pod the big companies platforms like Apple and the Google and you know all those ones and they don't give me a one thin red cent dime I don't know what the I can't remember the expression but you know I don't get anything from them so and that's whatever that's what we've all signed up for right just giving stuff away for free hoping it works out somehow anyway the Patreon's about the best way I've I've found to make things work so thanks to all of you who support the show with a little bit of money on the Patreon and if you'd like to support the show that way again patreon.com slash creative control it would be nice to just do this all the time but uh, it's not looking feasible at this point in my life so maybe i should never mind thanks again to the fine alberta record retailer blackbird music which you can learn more about and place special orders at via their website blackbird.ca also want to thank pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee in guelph and granddad's donuts in hamilton both of those cities in ontario for their in-kind support for this show thanks as always to uh, my friend jim guthrie who's also in ontario you can learn more about Jim and all his music, some of which he loans to me for free at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Ghostkeeper. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a lot about that band if you don't know much about them already. And I hope you'll uh, buy their music and support them and also subscribe to or follow this uh, podcast, whatever it is you do, and tell your friends all about it. 
spread the word about it that way. That helps. And otherwise, I will talk to you very soon. Thanks again for listening and the support. Take care of yourself. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.